If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How you doing there? It is podcast time and what a week we have seen. First of all, in Ireland, we're going to be talking about the main issue. This podcast is we're going to talk about why immigrants make you rich, why immigration is good for society, why immigration is undoubtedly good for the economy, where growth comes from, why immigrants tend to start companies. I'll just give you a quick statistic before we go. So there's a lot of Nonsense been spoken about immigrants and the idea that these people are scroungers or leechers or dossers. Did you know that in America, of Fortune 500 companies, 40% of Fortune 500 companies have been set up by either first or second generation immigrants? Immigrants are not job takers, they are job creators. And we'll go on and discuss that. Yep. Very, at important, length. Mark. Very, it's really very important, Mark. It's really yeah, important. It's really yeah. important. How are you, Head? I'm good. 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 But no, I'll tell you this, you know, because, I mean, you know my grandparents came here, right? The thing about immigration is that immigrants come to a foreign country, to a host country that is generous enough to open their doors to them. They have no friends. They have no network. They have no contacts. And that's exactly what happened to my grandparents who came. And you know what I hear? Like, they came from Scotland, not that far away, but they came without friends, without yeah. contacts, yeah, 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 without yeah. any network to help them, right? And and they came to Ireland for a variety of reasons. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Our culture, okay? But then, you know, these are, so am I not really Irish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's but, but, but it's not even that. It's even closer to home. Even closer to home than that is you and I. We're immigrants. Uh, we went to London. Yeah. And and most of our mates from the 80s went to London or Australia or exactly. uh, Romania, America, all over the place. Yeah, the Romanian was a bit of a peculiar one. Yeah, it was. Yeah. We was very well. <laughs> you know, and listeners know that this podcast is listened to all over the world. If you look at the, if you look at the geographical spread, yeah. and it's Irish people in the main, exactly. all over exactly. the world, you know? Exactly. And I even look that, you know, my parents had immigration papers to emigrate to Canada in the early 60s. Right, so, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, and they kind of got cold feet. Yeah, so, you know, I could have easily been... They got colder if they went to Canada. Freezing <laughs> 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 little penguins walking around. Little French-speaking penguins, because they, they, they had jobs in Montreal, right? Yeah. So the point is that 
the history of humanity, and this is the two things, and we'll deal with them. The history of humanity is travel, right? Mm. Humans migrate. We got up out of Africa on our hind legs and went for a stroll. Yeah. And we haven't stopped walking since, yeah. right? But the other history of humanity is tribal behavior. So you've yeah. got these two things hitting each other. It's pulling up the drawbridge business. So the, the humans want to travel. We are curious. We are adventurous. We are opportunistic. We want to break out of the tyranny, many of us do, of our hometown, our home country. And we want to make a life for ourselves. This sort of idea of striving. Then the other side is we also like, as a social animal, to be quite tribal. Mm. And it's these two things are, are rubbing up against each other. But what I want to do in this podcast is I want to nail the idea for once that immigrants leech off society because that is the message that has been given to people. It's an easy message to accept. And if you look at the data, and that's the one thing about economics, it lives or dies by statistics mm. and facts and data and numbers. And if you look at the data, it is unambiguous that immigrants, maybe because of the inner fire in their belly when they leave their country, that immigrants change the host society for the better. And on an economic basis, every single metric is overwhelmingly pro-immigration. Yeah. So it's important to actually come out of that. I was just going to say, just on that point, the very fact, the energy and the initiative that it takes to actually get up off your arse and go and, and go. And you go not to not to leech off Nobody somebody else. Nobody goes to leech. You, you go for a reason. And no. the reason is to better yourself and, you know, you better the, the, the community you're, that you you're enter. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I'm gonna, we're going to come back to this. One of the statistics on that is welfare tourism, John. Yeah. The European Foundation has shown, right, so one of the big myths is that, you know, people from Eastern Europe come to Western Europe because our welfare is better. And that is, you hear that all the time, particularly in sort of racist nationalist politicians. The data says the, op the opposite, that immigrants from Eastern Europe are far less likely to be depending on welfare than anybody else. But we'll go yeah. through the figures. But there is one thing to say at the very, very start, right, is that all of us Irish people have a brush with an experience of immigration. Whether unusually a wee bit like me, you're actually somebody whose grandparents... Bizarre decision to take to emigrate into Ireland in yeah. 1910. This was not a, this is not the most clever move in the whole world, right? So there's some of us have that background, but most of us have the opposite experience, yeah. which is having gone to other places. So but it's not that we should be aware of our history, but our history echoes the idea that we were those people. And, and not only that, there's a great line in the Louis McNeese poem, Dublin, which is, I'll read, it's the, the last verse of the poem. It's Go one of it. my favourite poems. Fort of the Dane, garrison of the Saxon, Augustan capital of the Gaelic nation, appropriating all the alien brought. You give me time for thought, and by the juggler's trick you poise the toppling hour. O greyness run to flower, grey stone, grey water, and brick upon grey brick. That's our city. That's Dublin. That's our city. Louis McNeese. Exactly, you know, and... It always has been welcoming foreigners. And, and I'm faking evidence of that, right? Yeah. So let's look at what's going on right now. The first thing to point out is that there has been a very big increase in immigration in the last 12 months. So this is why I think these senses are really heightened. And it's true. If you just look at the numbers, right? 120,700 immigrants arrived in Ireland in the last 
12 to 18 months, right? And the reason yeah. it's a bit different is we've got accurate data up until April of last year, and then we've more sort of estimates, right? Yeah, so yeah. that is a 15-year high. The last time that amount of immigrants came in was 2007, one year before the Great Crash. And they came in here to basically work on the sites. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that is true, okay? It's the second largest year of immigration in the last 30 years. So that is a fact. The country is now experiencing much more immigrants, right? The majority of these people, John, are came from beyond the EU or the UK, right? And that's largely from Ukrainians. So right. 28,000 Ukrainians came here from April. I think that's figured close to 60,000 or 65,000 now. So, I mean, if people feel that there are a lot of more foreigners here, it's true, there are, yeah, right? And yeah, in yeah. total, the immigrant population is 13.8% of the total population, which is about 768,000 people, right? And that is set to rise. The Fiscal Council of Ireland, who do all the projections for the mm. future, they say that we're at about 13% now. The immigrant population will be about 17 or 18% in 2050. Okay. So that okay. is the background noise. So yeah. it's definitely happening. Now, the question is, for Irish people, is that we are the country that has done probably the best in the world out of globalization. Probably the best in the world. So in the last 30 years, the living standards of this country have expanded dramatically, the opportunities, all that stuff. Globalization is a compact, which is free travel of capital, free travel of talent, open borders, and free trade. Yep. That's it. Yep. Yep. So that mix, whether you like it or not, has served this country extremely well, right? You cannot have free capital coming in, investment, multinational companies, all that stuff, and block immigrants. Yeah. You just can't have it. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have an immigration policy. You have to have some sort of immigration policy. But this idea that you can actually cherry pick and say, we want that little bit of globalization, the one that's all the nice little, yeah. all the nice factories and Google and Facebook, we want that little bit, but we don't want the immigration bit. You mm. can't have that because it's actually part of an overall package. And I've, as I've always said, if we want to have a high-wage, high-skilled society, we need to supplement our population with foreign talent. Now, we've done the low-skill, low-wage option. Yeah. I think the 1950s and 1960s, and it wasn't that pretty. So I think that, yes, there's lots of immigrants here. Yes, the figure is going up. But it's time now to nail this idea that immigrants are scroungers, are in some way leeches, or in some way dossers, because... First of all, as you said, the fire in your belly, the type of person who comes... Absolutely, yeah. ...is a get-up-and-go type of person. Yeah. Right? They're, they're not coming. They're not coming to sit in their Swiss. They're coming to actually generate opportunity for them and their families. And actually, that's what happens with, with, with my grandparents. They came up, my granddad was a sign writer, had a little business, a little painter and decorator business, and then he phoned his cousins from Scotland and they yeah. came over. And so that's what happens. Yeah, right? yeah, so eventually yeah, yeah. you do build your network, you build your family, your family comes yeah. over, but somebody has to go in the first place to the foreign place and, and deal with whatever. Yeah. And they, they are, they are definitely, there's definitely barriers thrown up against you because you don't know, you know the way that people say, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. Right. If you're an immigrant, much more likely you don't know anyone. Mm. So much more likely you start out and you're taught. You go into business on your own. This is why immigrants set up businesses. They don't set them up because maybe they want to, but they set them up because they have to. Yeah. Because they've no one to, look, don't worry, I'll phone Mick and he'll phone Tom and he'll give you a job or give your kid a start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have that. Yeah. So you actually are a complete self-starter as an immigrant. And that's psychologically a totally different, different place to be. Absolutely. And is it like, so there's, there's none of the, the kind of the old school network kind of thing. Going well, exactly. On. There's the, yeah, the old school tie, the, yeah. the boys, you know, 
that doesn't work. There's a restlessness in immigration. Yeah. And there's an honesty and there's also a fairness in immigration. Well, that, give us give us some of those figures. Well, well I mean, what you, well, look, so, so first thing we've got to see is that the most recent arrivals in Ireland, right, mm. 70,300, that's 58% of them, have third level degrees. Right. right. Now, Ireland is already the most educated country in Europe, but 53% of us mm. have third level degrees, which is phenomenal, right? And that, again, is an achievement of globalization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because absolutely. when I went to university, and think about when I went to university in 1980s, 12% of Irish people went to university. Yeah. It's now over 50. So this is a huge change. But still, despite that, immigrants, a higher percentage of the immigrants coming in have a higher level of education. Now, think about how that benefits us. We are getting educated, talented, skilled people whose skills and education and talent has been paid for by somebody else's yes, taxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a free lunch. Is there a breakdown of what kind of qualifications? Well, if you look at, for example, the ICT, right? The, yeah. the, the tech world, right? Yeah. Already 34% of all workers in Irish tech are foreigners. Right, 34%, yes, of course, right? Of course, yeah, yeah. And if you talk to the National Skills Council, they keep saying, we have shortages. We need shortages in IT technicians with foreign languages, with data analysts, software developers, with IT engineers, right? Where are these people going to come from? Yeah. Like, we, you know, we need them. We're to, not churning out enough of them. We're not churning out enough of them, right? So yeah. we have this, this strange combination. The demand in Ireland, which is a great thing, is too strong. Now, we know what it's like to have too little demand for labour. That's called unemployment. Yeah. And we experienced this. So this is a problem Absolutely. of strength. So if you look at, at these, and another fa- fascinating idea here is that this comes back to the scroungers, right? Immigrants. Did you know, right? And this is, again, these are facts. This is not just conjecture, right? That 77% of all immigrants go to work every day in Ireland, as opposed to 63% of the native Irish. Now, that is really. Phenomenal. So basically, the labour force participation, right, right, in this country is 63% of native Irish people go out. Now, that's a function of the fact that there's lots of old people, yeah. there, are, there are young mothers at home, etc. But in terms of the dynamic, right, mm. 77% of all immigrants go to work every day. 63% of us go to work. So who's paying for who? Okay, Mark, hang on. So I- that's the, la- I know this is a tricky one. It's, the, it's called the labour force participation rate. Okay, so that 63% is out of the entire population. Yes. But? The entire population who are available for work. So basically what you're talking about is people from the age of, let's say, 16. Right. To 65, which is the pension age. Yeah. Right? But you are right. Because immigrants tend to be younger. Yes. And because a lot of immigrants. So, for example, a lot of that Irish figure are people who've retired early. Yeah. Or are actually ill, right, that can't go out to work, that are ill. Are they a young mother staying at home yeah. because they've got families? That also, that changes. Okay, right. So, yeah, because all of the immigrants coming are here to work, every single one of them. Precisely. They're not coming yeah. here. And, okay, uh, so and it's I, bound to be a little it's, it's higher. Be, and so, so, for example, then there's another figure, right, which is the amount of immigrants who say they are not available for work. They've actually excluded themselves. Right, right? okay. That's 18% as opposed to 24% of Irish people, the whole population, who've excluded themselves. Right, okay, okay. So what you have is, it's very clear, yeah. That immigrants are working more, yeah. right? And this and again, for it. and if you look again at the skill level, what is amazing is that immigrants from either Asia or North America in Ireland are much more likely than local people to be working in professional or what we call higher skilled technical jobs because mm. they're better educated. Yeah, but does that not depend on whether they're from Europe or 
outside of Europe. Yeah, it does, actually. And this is another fascinating statistic, which is that immigrants from within the EU are more likely to get a job when they arrive here. Right. But okay. the immigrants from outside the EU, when they actually get a job, are more likely to have a job in a higher paying and more professional and or higher skill job. Okay. So what's happening is these are mainly Indians, Pakistanis, Chinese, yeah. right? They find it hard to get a job now yeah. for a variety of reasons, right? But when they do get a job, they get a higher skill job. Now, I think the reason is because the immigration process for them is much more strict. So they have to have points, they have to have skills. Mm. Whereas anybody from Eastern Europe can come because we're all in the EU. Mm. But what you're seeing is the complexion of the immigrant in the working population is A, much more likely to work in the first place yeah. and pay taxes for yeah. the rest of us. And B, is much more likely to be bringing a higher level of skills, which have already been paid by another education system, not ours. Right. So okay. this is a huge transfer of wealth to us, of potential wealth. Okay, can I can I ask you then, from an education perspective yeah. then, there's a lot of immigration into Ireland of students, people coming here Huge. to get their third level yeah. degrees. There's Talk to me about that. And and how many of them then stay on? Well, this is a fascinating. We don't practice. know we don't know how many stay on because the data is it's it's good, but it's not absolutely great. And mm. I'd say a lot of the survey data and whatever. But we know that thirty two thousand international students are here in yeah. our universities. Thirty two thousand. They're all paying fees. Yeah, they keep the universities open. I know, running. I know. Yeah. I teach them in Trinity. They're yeah. paying fees, right? Also, 100,000 students are here learning English as a foreign language. 100,000. Yeah. Now, just imagine that they're going out every day, they're buying lunch, they're working in bars, they're Absolutely. renting houses. doing everything. These are all contributing enormously to the society. Yeah. And also when you think is what drives economics, and this is something we rarely hear about immigration, are networks, right? That when a country is extremely plugged into the global world and networked into the global world, it's much more likely that businesses, international businesses are going to set up there because people from the other part of the world who come here, who do well, set up business to trade with the other part yeah. of the world. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's, a, it's, it's a self-reinforcing economic dynamic, which is, again, overwhelmingly positive. And if you take those people we're talking about, those, those, those immigrants coming in, and you look at, let's say, for example, the amount of businesses they create. And what I was saying about my grandparents is, the chances of an immigrant starting a business or just going out on his own or her own, mm. i.e. not being a burden to anybody else, is much higher because you don't have, as you say, the old school tie. You can't ring Mick and John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, give, give my young fella a job, even though he's, you know, useless. But he's, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's very, very good under the highball. <laughs> you know? Do you know what I mean? Like that sort of stuff, yeah. okay? So, but if you, if you think about it, right? I said at the top, I'll say it again. In the States, 40% of Fortune 500 companies were founded by first or second generation immigrants. 18% of all fast growing tech companies in the UK were created by immigrants, by foreign founders, right? In Ireland, a quarter of all startups are founded by foreigners. Quarter. Wow. Right? Wow. Okay. That's a good In the stat. United States, think about this a quarter of all Nobel laureates were born outside the United States. So imagine the types of people that are coming in and they're coming in here. And if you look at the American Economic Association, which is kind of the holy of holies mm. of, of, of economics, said that it's a US immigrant has an 80% higher chance of starting a business than a local native, right? So the dynamic there 
is extraordinary when you think about it, right? What you have is that these people set up businesses. They go out on their own. As you said, it's the fire in your belly. You're going out to change yeah. the world. You know, we always know, you know, when, when my mum was young, there was a great... Uh, did you ever hear of the Dagenham Yanks, John? The Dagenham? No. Right, so the Dag... This is a great... Dagenham, story, right? mate. Yeah, Dagenham. Oh, right. Yeah, down, you know, right. So Dagenham, Dagenham was the biggest Ford factory in the world outside the United States yeah. after the Second World War. Right. And loads and loads of lads, because mum's from Cork, right? And she had a bar in Cork. So loads mm. and loads of lads from Cork went over to work in Ford's because there was a Ford factory in Cork as well. Yeah. They went over to Dagenham. They came back to Cork every summer, right? In zoot suits, right? Do you remember the the Brad Pack, right? The Brad Pack, right? So they modeled themselves on, you know, Dean <laughs> Martin. Mods. Yeah, they were mods. They <laughs> modeled themselves on Dean Martin and the yeah. Brad Pack, right? Yeah. In their suits, right? They were called the Dagenham Yanks, right? Because they looked like Yanks, right? Oh, fantastic. And my granddad, who owned the Boozer, right, loved the Dagenham Yanks coming in because they'd spend a fortune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Splashing the, the cash. Big lads back. So if you think of the psychology, right? The Dagenham Yanks would come into the Boozer and buy pints for everyone, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And granddad would be just raking it in, right? But the whole point was that the immigrant wants to come home successful. They don't want to come home exactly. poor. And the downside of that is all the hundreds of thousands of Irish men in particular, which we saw when we were kids on the tubes. I remember Finsbury Park tube station being full of Irish down and out, guys drunk. The life just didn't go well and they couldn't come home. Yeah. And there's loads of them. They've never I, come I, home. I remember a lot. We lived next door to one of them. He was taken in by a, an elderly Irish lady. But I often spoke to him and... He told me his story about how he worked, came over in the 50s and worked on the tube, building a tube yeah. on the railways, but kind of was lonely. He was a lonely old man. Immigration and, is lonely. Yeah, yeah. But he, he did the best he could. And then, and you, then you slip through, you know, and if yeah. you do, the funny is if you don't, you know, we saw it over at Kilburn Cricketwood when we were younger, you know, mm. it's not there anymore. You don't see it that anymore. But my point is that immigrants want to come home successful. Yeah. That's the whole point, right? Like the Yanks yeah. buying gargle for the whole, for yeah, the whole yeah, family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My uncle was like that as well when he came home from America. Yeah, actually. spending money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got it. That's the whole point. Like globally, right? The IMF have estimated there's 270 million people in the world are migrants, right? Mm. Are coming and going, right? So that is, and they generate, according to the IMF, income of $6.7 trillion. Wow. Now think about it. That means these people who are just 3.4% of the world's Population yeah. contribute 9.4% of global income. Okay. So that is mm. how self-selecting, it's this idea of the self-selection of immigrants, right? So, John, if you take those IMF data, what you know is that the economic evidence is overwhelming that immigrants are positive for the host country. Yeah. They generate wealth. They generate tax revenue. They generate skill levels. They generate networks that we don't have. And they generate a little bit of friction too. Yeah, actually, let's talk about that. Yeah, I think it's important to look at look at some of the concerns yeah. that have been raised that are in, kind in of the legit. last while. Yeah, okay. after this. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mark, have you ever experienced racism? Against redhead people all the time. (laughs) Okay, but that's a given. <laughs> no, but really, in London or or in any of your no, and I, it's a really interesting thing. I always remember talking to older Irish people in London. I mean, well, I have told you the story about what I was called. I don't think I've told you that. So I was working the trading floor. Yeah, if you can call this racism, it is, but I don't think it is. It was during the early nineties when the IRA were putting all those bombs in the city of London. Yeah, and I'd come in, and I was the only Irish person there. Right? Yeah. On the trading floor. And I'd come in and you'd read your BBC Radio 4 here, oh, IRA bomb and yeah, you know, the, yeah. Bolt, oh, the Baltic heart, Exchange or something like yeah, this. Yeah, your heart used to And I think, sink. oh, Jesus, yeah. I've got to go in now. And it's all English laps. Yeah. But you walk into the trading floor and all the cockneys are in the trading floor. Yeah. So when I loved the cockneys, I used to play football with them. And I'd walk in, I was kind of, do you know what my nickname was? Yeah. Semtex. <laughs> It wasn't Mick or Paddy or anything. It was all right, Semtex. And then it was, I walked in there one night and I was walking in and I expected someone to say something. He goes, all right, Semtex, your blokes were up early last night. <laughs> so there was all this banter, right? Yeah. Your blokes or whatever. But no, I never experienced it. Oh, uh, I got a few. I have to did say, you experience yeah, it? I, I mean, not 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 that often, but you, you know, fuck off, back to your own country, all that kind of stuff. I got it uh, in America. Interestingly, worked did you? waiting on tables in Boston. Yeah, that's weird. In Boston, a place called Joe's American Bar and Grill on Newbury Street. Wow, that's yeah. unusual. I've, I just we'll move on from this, but there was a friend of my brother's. I think it was during all that time where bombs going off in in the UK and stuff that he was a manager in some company and he fired a guy for whatever reason, yeah. you know. But how your man got him back was he rang the terrorist the MI five, yeah. And said, this guy, and and fairness to him, the The coppers came around. They came around, but they sent him a note saying, we're watching you. Would you mind popping into the station and we'll have a quick chat? So your man went in, had a quick chat, cleared it all up. Yeah. And and moved on. But they had to check him out. That's amazing. But that That is incredible. That is amazing. But I don't think so. I, I actually think, interestingly, I've thought for our generation and younger, being Irish is a huge plus around the world. Yeah. It definitely wasn't. And we'll talk about the Irish in America in the 1850s before we go at the end of this podcast, and 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 what racism is really like when you yeah. when you when you experience it as a race, right, as an ethnic bloc. Yeah. But I've always thought that Irishness now, in our generation and certainly younger generation, is is like an attribute. It's a positive attribute. It's mm. like being a, it's like being I've always thought it's like being a two footed footballer. 
You know, a fellow who play left and right, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because it gives you a certain intro. I remember it was interesting in, in England, certainly because England was so class-based. What I found really intriguing is they couldn't place us. They didn't know we were posh paddies, we were poor paddies, we were paddies on the make, right? All that, that's yeah. a, and that was quite, it was quite perplexing for them mm. because accent and, and, and pedigree and all that stuff is so essential there. But I think now being Irish around the world is not a race issue anymore. It's yeah. almost a positive attribute that you have. Ability to get on, ability, you know, there are some races are very good at globalization. And interestingly, old races who used to be top dogs, like French and Germans, mm. they're not great at globalization. They don't travel a huge amount. They found it very difficult. Their politics is racked with all the stuff we're going to talk about, which is, you know, the race issues and our position. Is going, like Brexit is a great example yes. of a country that didn't do well out of globalization, even though Britain's very globalized. But the narrative they bought into was that globalization is a threat to us. We, on the other hand, are very good in a globalised world. Yeah, but isn't that, isn't it weird then that of some of the things you've seen over the last while... This is why it's so weird. Of, yeah, of of people saying, burn them out and call them all sorts of names and this is all about our culture and all yeah, this kind of... Yeah. What does that mean? What does... This is our culture. What does well, that mean? Well, well, this is my culture well, as well. I can tell you what I think of your particular culture, that particular geezer. But yeah. what I think is, and it comes back to it, so... There are many very reasonable people in this country who are afraid of what I would call the other, mm. right? They're afraid of the strange. Strange kind of discombobulates you because you don't really know, right? And they are very legitimate concerns too. You can't dismiss them. What I've just given you is a litany of the economic reasons. But, you know, there is an expression that culture always trumps economics. Yeah. That your economics can be so accurate but this is when we started to think culture, tribalism, my people, all that sort of stuff is really significant. And I think that if you decide that those reasonable concerns about who's coming into our community, who are these people, if they are not listened to, you will get many people up in arms. But if they are over listened to, yeah, right, that's the thing. Yeah. You'll make a mistake, right? Yeah. Because there was a good point made recently that Jury's Hotel in Ballsbridge has been empty for I'd say four or five years. Mm -hmm. It's a massive hotel. Yeah. In the richest yeah. part of the country. Yeah. Put immigrants in there. Absolutely. So that people from fingers don't feel that they're being put upon. Well you see that that's the thing that, that always gets made. I know there was there was a proposal for that and the locals were up in arms and threatened to sue the government and all yeah, that kind yeah, of yeah. stuff, which makes them as bad as the lads from Fingless saying out, out, out. And, Burn them out. Well, I mean, yeah. it's the lads from Fingless fighting the streets, the lads from Aylesbury Road fighting the courts. Yes. And that's exactly. the difference. But, but look, the Dave McWilliams podcast calls on the government. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> spread well, immigrants around rather than yeah. throwing big groups of people into the, the centre of communities without even consulting but, communities. But, by, but also, also, I think that it's important to keep stressing that you can't cherry pick on this globalisation game. Now, if you want to go back to the 50s and have pure white Irish and mm. take people like me, who are the grandsons of immigrants, and say, well, you're not really one of us, that's fine. Yeah. We'll go somewhere else. I'm very happy to do so, right? Because people will go somewhere else, right? Because you cannot stop the human urge mm. to what I've always said, to back themselves in the global markets. That's part of, of humanity. You have to also 
be cognizant of reasonable people feeling upset and scared and threatened, okay? That comes, I also think, just from a lack of knowledge. What is amazing is that once you meet somebody, your perception changes. Yeah, once you meet somebody from Africa, once you meet somebody from India, once you meet somebody from Afghanistan, once you meet somebody from Syria, suddenly all that racist stuff disappears. Yeah. Because they're just like us, with the same anxieties, the same fears, the same hopes, the same opportunities. Clearly, the issue here in Ireland is housing. We come back to it. Exactly. You build enough houses for everybody. People don't feel that some crowd are getting a yeah. better deal. But the idea that the society and the economy will be made richer without immigrants and therefore more secure and more safe for the average person mm. is completely an anathema. And I think, you know, we've got to be very, very aware of this. I'm going to give you a quote, right, from Abraham Lincoln, John. Right. You know, the book that I love to quote on, on immigration is this book by Noel Ignatiev, How the Irish Became White. Yes. And it's the story of the Irish in America. And I think it's really important for us to get it right. So in the 1850s, right, the Know Nothings, I've talked to you about this. Yes. The, yeah, yeah. It was the League of the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah. These the, are the wasps. These were the wasps. They were more or less interesting. They, they, they were Scots-Irish. They mm. were Nordy and Scottish Presbyterians. Mm. And they felt very threatened by the arrival of the Irish, right? So if I'll give you a figure, right? Between 1851 and 1860, 990,000 Irish Catholics in the main arrived in America. That is 83% of every immigrant in America in that decade was Irish. Wow. Right? So the wasps went bonkers. <laughs> okay? It's a lot of people. 83% were all Irish. Yeah. Right? And as far as they were concerned, the wasps, yeah. The, the, the people who'd won the American War of Independence, in mm. fairness to them, they'd created their own new country. Yeah, yeah. They were profoundly threatened, right? Catholic churches were burned in Maine. Priests were stripped, Catholic priests were stripped and tarred, right? And Abraham really? Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, the future president, yeah. Civil War leader, said something. He said, as a nation, we began by declaring, this is a quote, as a nation, we began by declaring that all men are created equal. We now practically read it as all men are created equal except for blacks. When the know-nothings get control, we will read all men are created equal except for blacks, foreigners, and Catholics. Is this what we want? And that is the key to the whole thing, is that yeah. that was Abraham Lincoln speaking in the late 1850s in reaction to burn them out. Yeah. Type of movement, right? A nationalist, white, racist, sectarian movement that decided that its grievances were legitimate. And its grievances were actually moral as well. And I'll give you this, these are some great quotes, right? You know the, the idea of the black Irish mm. in America, you know, Eddie Murphy and these sort of guys. Yeah. How do black folk have Irish names, right? Their great grievance was that Irish people arrived in the States, they mixed with black people. Right, and I'll give you a quote here from this book, right? Mm. Really on their arrival in America, this is how the Irish became white. The Irish were thrown together with black people on jobs and in neighborhoods with predictable results, right? The census of 1850 was the first to include a class that was called mulattoes. Yes. It enumerated 406,000 nationwide. These people had never been seen before, right? Including at least 15,000 in Pennsylvania. 
the largest number in any free state. Okay, so mm. these were free states. There is no closer breakdown, but they made up little over a quarter of the state's coloured population, right? So he goes on and on, talks about statistics or whatever. But then he goes, the Irish residents of this district, this is in Philadelphia, must have seen on the street a constant reminder of the fact and possibility of sexual union between European Americans yeah. and blacks. These were Irish people, right? And in general, this was recorded with great disapproval. Now, the point was, in New York, the majority, this goes on to say, the majority of mixed matings involved Irish women. Same as true in Boston, same in Philadelphia. The list of employees of the National Brick Company in 1856 includes a number described as of Irish nationalities who were also listed as mulatto, right? So this goes on. So what was also happening was the Irish were sleeping with blacks. Mm. And this was offending the wasp's sensibility about the pureness of the race. Right. Because the wasps want the white race to remain white. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so there's all this in the mix, right? And this is the sort of stuff you're hearing now all the time, is like mixed race, et cetera, et cetera. This book is amazing because what it says is the Irish arrived, that 990,000 mm. arrived, most couldn't speak English. They were Irish speakers. Right, yeah, right? yeah. Number one. They had no skills. They were absolutely destitute. They were in many cases incredibly sick, right? And they had no money. So what happens is you end up at the bottom of society. In the United States, in the free states, free black slaves were socially on top of them. They were carpenters, they were bricklayers, they were tradesmen, etc. right? So you get this mix in the very, very poor areas. And people do what people do. Yeah. People sleep with each other. Yeah. And this profusion of, you know, Shaq O'Neill and Eddie Murphy, this profusion of Irish names were the fact that they were the names of the Irish mums. And right. that's how it all emerged. So the Irish were a mixed race in America. And the book goes on to tell how we became white because the Irish leaders figured out we need to be part of the white race at right. some stage. Okay. Because right. the Americans didn't see us as part of the white race. They, the expression, it's an awful expression to use in this the Americans referred to us as smoked Negroes. Right. Jeez. That was the reference to Irish people mm. because we were seen as being so outside of any of those punch cartoons about us. Yeah, so when yeah, you yeah. ask me about racism, that's real racism. We never experienced that. We made, we experienced like, you know, and we've changed since then. But I come back to the idea, right? We have experience as a destitute nation. We have experience as an immigrant nation. We have experience of being welcomed into other countries. We know that the economics is overwhelmingly positive. So it behoves our political class, and I really think this, to communicate properly with people, tell them exactly what's going on, as you said, yeah. the amount of people coming in, why they're coming in, how we're going to deal with them, but also to give them a sense that the nation is going to look different in 50 years' time. It's going to speak different. It's going to, in the same way as the nation is totally different but to the nation we way. were born in. Yeah. Yeah. In a, absolutely. We're, the nation's completely different. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a South African rainbow nation idea, but it's that we are going to become global citizens of a global world. And that doesn't threaten Irishness. In fact, Irishness is an attribute that has already proved itself in the global world to be very successful and can be even more successful with the infusion of all these new people.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.